have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 13 tonight. It's appropriate the songs we were singing, singing about Christ and the name of Jesus, that it is the name above all names. And as we've been talking about love, there's no obviously better example of love than the Lord Jesus Christ. And just looking at his love for us and what he was willing to do for us and giving of his life on the cross. Even his love and his willingness to come to humble himself and be born as a babe in this world and live in this sin-stained world and, and, and live without sin, but live with sin all around him and go to the cross to die for our sins. And just want to praise the Lord for that and just come as we think tonight again about this theme of love. That again, beloved, it all starts with a love in our heart for, for God, a love in our heart for Christ that we really can't love, no one can really love as the Bible is speaking about here without first and foremost having a love for Christ, a genuine saving love for Christ as we have talked about in the past. And, and that love for Christ is a emptying of ourselves and seeing ourselves as the sinners that we are and coming to Jesus and trusting in Jesus and Surrendering it all to Christ and and trusting Him, believing in Him, hoping in Him, knowing of what He has bore for us on the cross. And so as we think about that, as we think about the love of God, the love He has poured into our heart, beloved, if we we know God, as we have seen uh, different times throughout this series, if we know God, then we will love, and we will love God, and we will love one another, and in what we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13 is what love looks like, how it will manifest itself uh, in our life, this love that, that God gives us. And if you follow along with me, beginning in verse 4, we find that Paul gives a description where he says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And that last little phrase there at the beginning of verse 8, love never fails. Tonight as we continue this study about love, again, as you read through those words again, those descriptions, I hope again you're reminded that love is not primarily about feelings, but love, as the Bible is describing it here, is about actions. It's about being active and not passive. And as we've looked through these different ones, tonight we want to focus in on verse 7 together, where he says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Let's start with the first one that he gives us here in verse 7 where he says that love bears all things. The idea there of bearing is of supporting or of covering, of protecting those that you love. It's willing to carry their weight at times. It's willing to deny yourself at times. You're willing to bear things up out of love for others. 
So obviously here in the context of what Paul is speaking about, he's not talking about a bearing of all things in the sense that we will tolerate sin, but instead the bearing of all things is carrying the load for someone else so as to help them and not to harm them. Uh, loving and bearing all things is you're someone that you're, you're not willing to expose others just for the sake of exposing them. Whether it's by gossip or whether it's by slander or whether it's just by letting people know things that they don't necessarily even need to know just for the sake of telling others. We see this example oftentimes in children where children are willing to tattletale on someone else, on their brother, their sister, or just the other person that's in the room. And they're doing it just for the sake of getting the other person in trouble, just to expose what it is that they have done. And I'm reminded of the words that are penned for us over in 1 Peter 4.8 that are also penned for us in the book of Proverbs where Peter says, Love covers a multitude of sin." I'm reminded of the Lord Jesus Christ himself who bore our sins upon himself on the cross. And beloved, sometimes we have to bear for others out of a love for them. And let me give you some examples of that. Some things we have looked at throughout this series on love. But I want to keep coming back to some of these things because they're very practical in a sense and they're even contained here, these first ones, here in 1 Corinthians. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 where we see in chapter 8 and then we're going to look in chapter 10 where Paul is addressing this issue again of love that love edifies. And sometimes when we're out of love for others, we have to bear their weaknesses. We have to bear up and support them in some weaknesses that they have, which means that we have to be willing to deny ourselves sometimes some things that maybe we can even lawfully, and by lawfully, I don't mean by the laws of our land, I mean lawfully by the word of God, we may even be able to enjoy, we may be able to do, but yet because it can be harmful to others, especially others in the body of Christ, we are going to bear that up for them out of love for them. And that's why he says here in verse 1, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge, and knowledge makes arrogant, but notice, love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there's no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. He's just laying out the knowledge that they have, what they know about God, what they know about idols, and they know that ultimately, beloved, in reality, there are no other gods. There's only one true and living God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the one true and living God that has chosen to reveal himself to us through the pages of Scripture. This is the one true and living God. So he, he, he's saying, look, we know this. And we know that there are some so-called other gods that are out there. 
But he says in verse 7, however, not all men have this knowledge. But some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. The issue there in this situation was not whether it was right or wrong to be eating the food that was brought there that had been sacrificed to idols that was now being served in a restaurant uh, that, that they could have gone to eat in. And he's saying, look, that wasn't really the issue. The issue here is about using your life and using what God has given you out of love. You have knowledge. Use the knowledge that you have out of love to help strengthen and edify and to build people up. Thus, sometimes that means I have knowledge about certain things that others may not, but I, until they do, I have to deny myself. So he says, but take care in verse 9 that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is now ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. He's talking here about a fellow believer. A fellow believer who, just as he said back in verse 7, but some being accustomed to the idol until now. He's talking about some new converts, some new believers who just got saved. And they're coming out of this idolatry. But though they just got saved and they know God and they know the Lord Jesus Christ and they've trusted him, but, but they've been doing some things all of their life. And these things that they've been doing, it says they were accustomed to it. This has been the the habit, and this is what's in their heart and their thinking, and they're trying to work through all of these things. And here they come walking by, and they look in the window, and they see there's the Apostle Paul, and he's sitting down eating meat in this temple that's there, and this has been sacrificed to idols, and what's going on? And, And they're trying to figure this out. And they have a weak conscience at this time. They haven't been trained yet in their understanding. They don't have that knowledge yet. And through that, he says, your brother will be harmed. In verse 12, he says, and so by sinning against the brethren. Understand, this is a sin against them and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. And beloved, that is a powerful statement to always remember that ultimately... Our sin is against Christ. The sin we commit against one another is ultimately a sin against Christ. That's why he says, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Here is Paul, again, showing us in a very practical way, here out of love, he is saying, I am going to bear all things for my weaker brother. I am willing to deny myself this privilege that I have. I know what the truth is. I know that when I sit down to eat this steak in this restaurant that he's describing here, when I sit down to eat it, I know there's no such thing as an idol. I'm not offering this to an idol. This has nothing to do with idolatry to me. I just like a ribeye steak. 
and I'm just sitting down to eat the ribeye steak. But there's something more important than me enjoying this ribeye steak in the, on this occasion because there's someone out there that could be looking and if they see that and they don't understand that, they are now going to be ruined in their conscience and their understanding and I'm going to wound them, I'm going to hurt them and I'm going to sin against them and if I sin against them, I'm sinning against Christ. So out of love, I'm going to bear this up. And he I mean, look at what he says. I will never eat meat again for their sake. I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. So that's one scenario where he talks about them bearing up. Go over to chapter 10. We've looked at this example before, but go to chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Where in verse 23, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. You see, there's the ultimate question. If you want to ask yourself sometimes, I mean, one of the first questions you ought to ask yourself, if you're trying to make a decision, should I do this or should I not? Well, is it lawful? And again, by lawful, we're not talking about the laws of our land because there are some of the laws of our land that violate the law of God. So that's not our ultimate authority. Our ultimate authority will be the word of God. And the first question I would ask is what I'm about to do, is it lawful in agreement with the word and the will of God? And the answer may be yes, it is. Okay, good. But that's not where it stops. The second question that you have to ask is, well, is this profitable? And in this particular case, he's asking, is this not only lawful, he says there in verse 23, but not all things edify. So, Verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Again, go back to chapter 8, verse 1, love edifies. Here he's speaking about when you have an opportunity to do something, do something out of love to build others up. Not seek just your own good, but that of your neighbor. So in this situation, it's not in a public place, but it's in a private home. Verse 25, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, and here again, does anyone would be another believer that would be there with you. If anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols. Then he says, now the, the ball game's changed. Don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you for, the, for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but for the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever it is you do, there's that phrase that we're all, that, that verse that most of us probably are very familiar with, with whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as also I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. So you understand now when he says not... Some things may be lawful, but they're not profitable. And in this situation, he's saying, when he was faced with that situation, he's saying, look, if I go ahead and eat, that wouldn't be profitable. It wouldn't be profitable for my fellow brother or sister in Christ that's weak in the conscience, and it wouldn't be profitable for the unbeliever. 
Because the unbeliever will be sitting there and knowing that you're doing something that's harming this person and thinking, why in the world would I want to become a part of the church? Why in the world would I want to become a Christian if y'all treat each other that way? But when he sees that, look, you're willing to deny yourself something out of love for him, that can be a testimony to him, to the unbeliever. So this is the way in which he, he's helping them to see how it is we bear all things. But let me show you another way. Go over to Galatians chapter 6 for a moment. Go to Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians 6. Verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burden and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. We are called on, beloved, to bear one another's burdens. And a part of that bearing of one another's burdens, beloved, is when someone falls down, gets caught, gets ensnared into into sin, and they're moving in those directions, we have a responsibility to say those who are spiritual, by spiritual there, he doesn't mean some super spiritual class. He's just saying those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, who's walking with the Lord, who's willing to deal with their own sin, go and restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. But as you do it, you look to yourself to make sure that you won't be tempted as well. But you go, you have to go and bear one another's burdens. That is a way in which we actually fulfill the law of Christ. We fulfill the law of love. Bearing one another's burdens. And a part of that bearing one another's burdens is willing to come alongside of one another, be involved in one another's life, and help one another when we're struggling, whether we're struggling just with sin or we're just struggling with issues and things in our life, that we are there to help walk with them, carry them, and we need to help carry them, confront them when we need to confront them, and encourage them when we need to encourage them. This is all a part of the Christian life. Bearing up This is how we love one another. You see, beloved, when we're not willing to do that, ultimately, what we're saying on those occasions, or if that's our attitude at times, what we're saying is, I really love me more than I love you. Because I'm more concerned about me than I am about you. But remember what Paul says, don't do things for your own good, do it for the strengthening, the edification of the other. And again, that's the attitude here. It's not an attitude of condemnation. It's not an attitude of just this uh, sinful judgment. But it's just an attitude that says, my brother, my sister is struggling. And they've fallen on their face. They've broken their arm. I'm going to go over there and help mend that arm. I'm going to go help set it for them. And in this case, he's talking about spiritually we have fallen and we've, we've broken ourselves. And we need to have somebody come alongside of us and help pick us up and strengthen us and speak truth to us and encourage us and sometimes admonish us in our life. This is the bearing of all things. And again... As we do that, we have to bear that up ourselves. 
even in the, the process of of church discipline in Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17 where if your brother sins he says go to him and when that's happening if it, whenever a brother or sister is going to a fellow brother or sister in Christ about sin about something that's going on like that they're supposed to bear that up that is they're not supposed to go expose that to other people they're just supposed to go to that individual talk to that person and lovingly talk to them from the word of God calling them to repentance and if they repent it says it's over it's all over. No one else needed to know anything else about it. It, it. it was over. But it goes on to say, if it, they don't listen to you, he says what? Go get one or two witnesses to come alongside of you. And again, those are the three, the two or three that are there going to bear this up and bear this burden out of love for this brother or sister in Christ and, and helping to speak to them about the, the, the sin, what's going on in their life and encouraging them and calling them to repentance. And if that person repents and sees the error of their ways, guess what? No one else is supposed to know. You bear that up. You bear what's going on. And even if it gets to the level of the church, the church still is to do that in a loving way, not in a gossiping way, in a slanderous way, but in a way of encouraging, strengthening, wanting to see this person repent of their sin. And beloved, just understanding that attitude of bearing all things, go over to the Gospel of Luke for a moment. Go to Luke chapter 17. Go to Luke chapter 17. In Luke 17, Jesus opens it up with a similar thought that what we read there a moment ago from Paul about not putting stumbling blocks in front of others. In verse 1, he said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. But notice verse 3, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuking. And if he repents, forgiving. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgiving. And you can see why in verse 5 the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. I mean, just think about what he just said. He just said, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day, and on seven occasions he comes back and says, I repent, I repent, I repent, I repent, I repent, I repent. You're supposed to say, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you every single time he comes back. I can see, look, I'd be saying the same thing. Lord, you're going to have to increase my faith. For me to do that, I'm going to have to have my faith increased. And this is what is going on here. And this is where, again, where we bear, we bear all things. And this ties in even to the second characteristic we want to look at tonight. Where Paul said not just to bear, love bears all things. He said love believes all things. And in some sense, that's what you see here in Luke 17. He comes, or she comes, saying that they're repenting of their sin. And there's a sense in which we're, we're to believe, we're to have a, a, a trust. Now understand, whenever Paul says, back in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13... 
when he says there that love believes all things, he is not saying that a person should be naive. He's not saying that when a person should believe all things, that a person is to be gullible. Someone who is gullible that accepts everything that is told to them. He is not saying that you're to believe all things in which that would mean that you're to be undiscerning. We are called to be discerning. We are called to examine everything carefully. We are called on to test the, the, the spirits that, of the teachings that come our way. The things that we read. The things that we see. We're to test all of those things. We know that he's not speaking about believing all things in a way that says you want to be like the simple-minded person who is foolish in the book of Proverbs. We are to be like the Bereans who search out the word of God carefully. What he means there in verse, in chapter 6, 13, there in verse 7, when he says love believes all things, what he means by that is this, is that when we're going to show love for others, we are going to think the best about them. We're going to think the best about them. We're going to look for what is good in them. We're going to look for what is best in others. There's going to be a trust that is there. In some sense, it's going to be like the idea of innocent until proven guilty. When there is some doubt, you err on the side of grace. Now, I recognize that folks can take advantage of that. And hopefully a person of integrity would not take advantage of others who are willing to have this kind of love for them that would believe all things. And sometimes, sadly, and I'm sure some of you could probably even stand up here and testify tonight, sometimes when you love in that way, you get burned. You do get burned by others. And I tell you, one of the things that would help always, if you want others to have this kind of love for you, is to be a person of integrity. A person of integrity. That in doing that, you're building up trust with others. They know that you're a person of your word. And if you're a person of your word, even when sometimes it's hard to believe maybe what's being said, what's going on, that they're going to say, look, out of love I believe. I have a trust. I'm, I think the best of you. Beloved, it is hard to go through life loving people if a person is always cynical, if they're always untrusting of others, if they're always negative as they think about others. That's just the opposite of what he's saying here. Love believes all things. It believes all things. But notice something else he says. Love hopes all things. Best way to think about that is this. is saying, look, if there's still an opportunity, you believe there's still a possibility. If this person still has life, you're going to have hope for all things. That is, you're still going to have, you're still going to be thinking there is the opportunity, there is the possibility, this person is going to be reconciled to God. This person is going to come to know Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. This is someone who clings to, to optimism instead of pessimism. Love has this hope. A hope that is based in God. A hope that is based in the, the Word of God and the love of God. This person who believes 
and has this hope in God no matter the circumstances. It's the kind of people that we see over in the book of Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember when they were about to get thrown into the, the fiery furnace? And as they are, and the king wants them to renounce basically their faith, and you see this hope that comes, they have a hope in all things, and their hope is in God because they have a love for God. And they, re, they reply in verse 16 of Daniel 3, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve in, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Their hope was in God. They just had a trust in God. This is an aspect of love that they had for God. We see the same kind of attitude that we'll probably see next week over in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, there in verse 19, when Paul says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether it will be by life or whether it's going to be by death. My hope is in God. My trust is in Him. Beloved, this is how we manifest that love and a love for God. That we cling to the promises of God. We cling to the truth of God and what He has told us. But notice one other thing He says here tonight. Over in 1 Corinthians 13, He says, Love endures all things. This really just kind of wraps it all up. Especially from the Bearing and believing and hoping. It endures. This idea of enduring is a military term that speaks of someone who will not leave their post no matter the cost. And that's what he's saying. It's someone who will not leave their post no matter the cost. It's the it's a description you can see of, of someone like when you have a some Men up there and they're in a dogfight in the sky and the one who is the wingman of the other and he says, I will not leave him. I'm not going to leave my, my wingman. I'm here to protect him. I'm not going to leave my post even if it costs me my life. And he's saying this is what love does. Love just keeps on bearing up, keeps on believing, keeps on hoping. It bears up when things are unbearable. It believes when things seem to be unbelievable. It hopes when things seem to be hopeless. And how often people need to be reminded of this when they're struggling. They need to be reminded of the promises of God. They need someone there out of love for them that's going to believe for them sometimes, bear them up sometimes, hope for them because they're having a hard time doing it and you have to be the one that steps in. And you step in for them out of love for them and you're the one that's going to endure and then they're going to feed off of that and then they come to have that belief and that bearing and that hope in their heart again. Well, but those who love God endure to the end. A love for God endures. It keeps moving. 
A true love never stops loving. And beloved, you can just wrap it up with what Paul says there. Love never fails. It never fails. And even by him saying that love never fails, he's saying love never stops. It never stops. If you go on to read there in verse 8 and 9, you'll notice that he he makes reference to some spiritual gifts. He says the gift of prophecy is going to stop. It's going to be done away with, he says. The gift of tongues, it's going to cease. It's going to stop. He says the gift of knowledge, it will be done away with. All of these were divine gifts that were connected to divine revelation that was being given directly to people to speak forth. And what he was saying, there was coming a time when these gifts were going to stop, but the one thing that was never going to stop was love. Love would keep moving. We're still to have love. That's why he can wrap it up in verse 13 when he says, but now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Because one day, beloved, we're not necessarily going to have to live by faith. And one day we're not going to have to live by hope. Because we're going to see Christ as he is and we're going to be with Christ forever. Right now we live by faith. Has anyone here ever seen Jesus? No. But you have a faith in Christ. You have a hope in the promises of God's word. Well, one day that hope's going to be a reality. One day we're going to be in heaven. One day we're going to be in the new heaven and the new earth. One day we're going to be in the presence of Christ forever. So the greatest of these three is love. Because guess what? When we're there, love's going to keep moving. It's going to keep going forward. It never fails. It never stops. Beloved, this is the point of Paul. of Why he's been trying to lay out before them that the more excellent way is yes, desire the greater gifts. Desire the gifts that God provides, especially for the time here for the church at Corinth. He's, he wasn't saying don't desire those things, but he was saying, but when, as you desire them, let me show you the more excellent way, and that is that love is front and center of all of what is said, of all that we serve and all that we do. This is the more excellent way. So beloved, I pray that you will take this to heart. And I pray that you will consider carefully again all the different characteristics of love that we have seen here. And then just ask the Lord to address your heart about it. To address your heart when Where are there times when you're not patient? Where are the times when you're not kind? Where are the times where you can tend to be jealous or envious? Where are the times that you can tend to be arrogant or someone who wants to brag and boast? Where are the times when you act rudely? Where are the times when you seek your own? Where are the times when you seem to be more easily provoked? 
When are the times when you tend to take into account a wrong that was suffered? When are the times you're rejoicing in unrighteousness? When are the times when you're not rejoicing in the truth as you should? When are the times you're not bearing up, believing and hoping and enduring? Let God's word remind you of that. And again, beloved, the good news is, is as we look at these things and consider these things, none of us are going to be perfect. Every one of those areas, we're going to all have struggles. We're going to have all things we need to be working on. We need to be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. We need to be growing in love, abounding in love more and more. But maybe one of these sticks out more in your life than it does in my life. Maybe there's one of them I can read this and go through it and say, you know what, I know one of the biggest issues I have here. And ask God to to help you to to work through it, to to show you how to display this love. And again, I would say one of the first things you ought to do if if you struggle, when we struggle with love, you struggle with one of these areas, is go back to the cross. Just keep going back to the cross. Because when you look at the cross, beloved, you are looking at the love of God. You're looking at what God has done. You're looking at what Christ has done. It's hard to look at the cross and to see and think about Jesus suffering on the cross for your sins. And to think about that and think about he was without sin and he goes to the cross to take on our sin. And I can't be kind I can't be patient. It begins to put it in perspective for us. But notice what he says this. It's something you have to pursue. Go to verse 1, chapter 14. Pursue love. You have to pursue it. Pursue love. Go after it. Go after it with all your heart. And ask God to help you. To grow in love. One of the things we've been praying for is just praying for love. That love would abound in our heart. Our heart for the Savior. Our heart for the Scriptures. Our heart for the saints. One another. Our heart for sinners. The lost. That that God would just help us to grow in that. Pursue it. You have to go after it. These things don't just happen. We, we, We can't just sit and just say, Lord, just make me more loving. I'm not going to do anything about it. Just, just somehow zap me. That's just not the way God's going to work. We're to put on and put off. Pursue love. So pursue these things in your heart and in your life. I want to ask you to bow your head in prayer for a moment.